using some kind of genetic algorithms. Sid's too complex to design. Lindemeyer had to grow him up. Psychologically, like a real person with multiple personality disorder. Program runs like a child. Much faster. It's like you put all these killers in Sid's nursery and let him watch them cannibalize each other. And only the strong ones survive. Open Sid 6.7. Looks like there's almost 200 different personality structures in this version. The battle raging inside him must be amazing. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, slow that down right there. The name's there, slow down. You're not in here, Parker. That's what you're worried about. Right there. Matthew Grimes, uh... Kill my wife and my daughter. Look, it, it doesn't mean... He's not necessarily dominant, Parker. He may not even be emergent. But he's in there, right? He's a part of Sid? Hello and welcome to the Vertical Viewing Podcast from Vancouver, British Columbia. This is episode number 71. Wow. And my name is Scott. My name is Michael. What's up? How's it going? It's just the two of us today. Again, yeah. Well, I guess it hasn't, we haven't done a duo cast in quite a while. Uh, Yeah, it's been a little while. I think The Witch. The Witch. Maybe. Yep. Um, So welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're going to catch up on the films and TV shows we've been watching as well as the week in film news before our featured review of Finding Dory. Finding Dory. From writer-director, uh, writer-director, and <laughs> Andrew Stanton, uh, who I just re- I just looked his name up and discovered he's by far my favorite Pixar director. He did Wally. He did Finding Nemo. Didn't he also do John Carter? He did John Carter of Mars, <laughs> which is not a Pixar movie. No, but I... But I, it should have been, maybe. I still like that movie. Um, yeah, he went. He tried to do some live action and went quickly back into <laughs> Pixar movies again. He also did A Bug's Life. So yeah. I, I really like... Wally is my favorite Pixar movie. I'm ever. with you there. Wally is a masterpiece. And Finding Dory is... I think it's right up there. It's pretty good. We will find out. Mm-hmm. You can uh, subscribe to all of our episodes on iTunes or through the podcast software of your choice. Uh, visit our website, verticalviewing.com. You'll see the donate button right there. If you got PayPal, try it out. Try it out. You can leave us a couple of bucks. Uh, helps us keep the lights on, offset the cost of seeing movies putting on the show. We appreciate anything and everything um, Absolutely. that our listeners can do. So, uh, yeah, verticalviewing.com. You can send your thoughts and recommendations. Our email address is verticalviewing at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at verticalviewing. So let's get into it. Let's do it. What's going on? What have you been watching this week? What have I been watching this week? Um, I've been playing a lot of games. Okay. But Start there. Well, I picked up Darksiders 2, the Definitive Division, uh, <clears throat> Edition. Death, Definit. Definitive instead of Definitive. Definitive? Yeah. Because it was originally released on PlayStation 3, so mm-hmm. they remastered it, re-released it on PlayStation 4, and other, like, next-gen consoles, current-gen, I guess, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just on sale on the PlayStation Network. It was just normally like 40 bucks. It was on sale for $12. So like, okay, That's a good deal. I'll pick it up. And it's from the now-defunct Vigil Studios, which was... They were, they were under the umbrella of... THQ. Uh, THQ, which is also defunct. Yeah. 
so they were a casualty in that. This was actually remastered and released by Nordic Games, so I think they now have the Darksiders. Yeah, the, the, um, I think all the properties under THQ sort of just gotten broken up and distributed. Yeah, like they were the, auctioned off, I yeah, think. Yeah, the, the fall of the Soviet Union kind of thing. I would love for a three to carry on the story because... The basic premise is, I don't know if you have any idea what these games are. Well, yeah, I, I should po- uh, point out, I I, I played Darksiders 1 on PS Plus okay. way back in the day on PlayStation 3. And then I also, a couple of months ago, I downloaded uh, the definitive edition of okay. Darksiders 2 on PC. Before the show started, I mentioned to you that I'm a huge nerd and I like to run my PC games at above 1080p mm-hmm. because I've splurged <laughs> well, and I've splurged and bought a now you know obsolete video card in the 980 Ti so I have to make use of that thing somehow get your money's worth yeah so I, I try to run games at 1440 uh, which just gives you a, a nicer picture quality nice and it's scaled down to 1080 just looks nicer than running them at native uh, and when I did that for uh, definitive edition when I tried to how did that? When I tried to go into the options menu and change to 1440p, I just crashed the entire <laughs> game. Uh, and the settings took effect so that any time I tried to start Darksiders oh, 2 shit. from there on out, crashing. it kept crashing trying to run it in that, wow. in that broken resolution. Uninstalled the game. Of course, when you reinstall it, all of those settings, like PCs piss me off because you can delete something, but the computer still thinks it's there like it's like you deleted those files but i'm going to remember everything we're going to reset that table just the way you left it when you're like no i deleted it let's so start that, from that scratch didn't work either no so when i reinstalled the game and tried to launch it again it just kept crashing like it, it retained those settings somewhere and i could not find what folder those resolution oh, settings were saved in it was a complete disaster mike that's too bad yeah it's a pretty good game because did you like the first one mm-hmm. i i think that i like the premise a lot you know the apocalypse has happened because some there was a conspiracy and angels and demons destroyed humanity and you're one of the horsemen, four horsemen of the apocalypse. <clears throat> so this is like a, a basically an R-rated version of Zelda? Yeah, basically. Because it's got the dungeons, it's got the same mechanics. Uh, it's just a violent, dark, satanic version of Zelda. Yeah, I really like the design in it because I'm a fan of Joe Maduera, Maduera comic guy. So he did all of the creative direction in it. So what I, comics has he done? Battle Chasers, for sure. Yeah, um, yep. some other random stuff, but that's what he's best known for. That sounds cool. Uh, so it was interesting playing as War, like this hulking beast of a of a character who looks basically like a space marine from 40k, uh, from Warhammer. It's a Warhammer. For yeah, me. uninformed <laughs> to death. Who's also strong, but he's a lot skinnier and. Um, it runs parallel to the story of one. So war is trying to redeem himself. So you're a new one. character. And so you play as death and the other, one of the four horsemen. Um, I like it cause they give you the horse right away. Whereas in one, it took you forever to get your horse. It's like you're a horseman, but you don't have a horse. <laughs> yeah. All um, right. and it's a little more RPG ish. Like you level, you level up and you get equipment and gear that you swap out for better stats. So that was kind of cool. Boom. I just want to. I want a three because it runs parallel and ends at the same goddamn spot that first one does. So oh, you, okay, you see, I see. You I see another side of the story going. You can get on. a third one that fills in 
All right, I get it. Well, because at the end of cool. Darksiders 1, war, war wins. He destroys the guy who caused this huge apocalypse. And one of the angels is like, well, you're going to be hunted by everyone. What are you going to do? Like, you can't take on all of heaven by yourself. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not alone. And then the other riders show up in the distance. So I want to I want to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse storm heaven in the, the yeah. white sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. uh, it would be awesome. So... That's the definitive edition yep. of Darksiders 2. It runs pretty well, I'm imagining, uh, on PS4. Mostly it looks good, but it, yeah. it it randomly crashes on me. So I'm not surprised that you crashed it. Yeah. Uh, Fuck, like, are you kidding me? What, like, crash to the PS4 yeah. desktop? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's only happened a couple times in games I've played on the PlayStation 4, but this one happened four or five times. So I don't know what Nordic Games did with this, yeah. but... Okay. Mm. Okay, speaking of games, teased earlier off the top, maybe before we recorded, actually, that I reinstalled a game on my computer. I got back into Titanfall. Nice. Did so, the, the Titanfall 2 trailer excite you? It's unbelievable. So for the folks out there uh, who missed all the E3 coverage, we'll talk about it in news a little bit. We'll talk about... I think some of our highlights of E3, we can go over some of that if you want. Sure. Um, however, there's an awesome trailer, multiplayer trailer for Titanfall 2, which is basically if you take Call of Duty with Mirror's Edge and then throw robots into it. Giant robots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't how, know. how many boxes does this check? Yeah, exactly. I don't know why Titan. I guess I know why. Titanfall 1 was exclusive to the PC and Xbox One, and developers uh, respawn they just at the beginning of this current generation they like they and everyone else just assumed that xbox would be the dominant console because 360 dominated the last cycle yeah and so the whole industry figured xbox one will be the you know the main choice for players you know call of duty fans which is this what titanfall appeals to will just migrate right from 360 to xbox one but it didn't happen History knows that Microsoft just fucked the entire thing up at E3, I think, 2013, uh, which is a, an amazing part of video game history at this point already. It's unbelievable. But anyway, they uh, announced that Titanfall 2 is going to be playable on PS4. I'm so happy And PC and Xbox One. And I think cross-platform, at least the consoles will be able to play each other. I'm so happy about that. That's a big deal. Mo, like that's that's why no one played this game is because it PS4 ended up being the dominant console and this game was unavailable and I think most fans most owners of PS4 said I want to play this game but I can't and everyone knew that Titanfall 2 would be I wonder multi-platform if, anyway so I wonder if Destiny had a hand in that because a lot of the exclusives for PlayStation were timed and there wasn't a lot going on in the market at the time. So maybe people... And Call of Duty has since backed Sony. Like all yeah. the DLC for Call of Duty is exclusive to PS4 for the first 30 days. Oh, Whereas yeah. it used to be exclusive to Microsoft. Hmm. It's the developers know that that's where the majority of the console owners are now. Interesting. So Yeah. Titanfall 1, unbelievable. Uh, there's still... I think, I guess, because of the announcement, there's an uptick of players online. But uh, finding or players on Origin has been a disaster. It's been horrible. Like, that's why I stopped playing, is because you, you load up multiplayer and there's 12, you know, 12 people online in a, in a <laughs> lobby. You know? Wow. You're, it, it, it fell off the table huge. So, hopefully, they can keep players in. 
Did Microsoft say that their games are going to start being available on Steam again? They're going to start making games. Avail- newer games are going to start coming to Steam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think, I, I mean, I guess they mean first party, right? They must. I, I would think so. They must. Because yeah. then, because obviously third party games would already be on Steam. So. Nice. <laughs> so what else you got? Uh, I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Okay. We're going to talk about this. Because we're not reviewing it. No, it doesn't deserve a regular review. We were going to review it this week. But so it's not worth... We, should we say you're welcome to the listeners? Or? <laughs> you're welcome, listeners. Uh, well, I'll give it this. It's better than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that came out a couple years ago. Uh, because it is a lot more like the 90s cartoon that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we, though? Like, do we all, we all know it, we all love it, but is it good? Oh, probably not. I okay. don't think okay. so. Like uh, going back and I watched the first six episode arc after I, uh, like a, months ago, I watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shell or whatever, uh, documentary on Netflix about mm-hmm. Peter Laird and Eastman, Kevin Eastman, Kevin Eastman doing the original and then how the animation was set up to sell toys. But so they only did a six episode run of it and it was just become, it became so huge that they just kept going. Um, so those six episodes, they're all right. <laughs> they're they're okay. But as a kid, you absolutely love them. And I can see the kids loving this too. Um, Bebop and Rocksteady are ridiculous. Are they are they cool? Is it fun? Like is it a, is it a crowd pleaser? That's what I'm hoping for. I had more fun with this than I did in the last one. I know that's not necessarily saying much because the first one was awful it's pretty it's pretty hard to watch um yeah it's pretty hard to get through it's really hard to get it's through really the first get, one yeah it's really bad uh but this they were more they were more like the original turtles so they kind of just forgot i mean they talked about the first movie a little bit saying hey this stuff happened uh but then they just kind of like whatever we're just gonna make sure everyone is like Raphael's kind of the sulky guy michelangelo like they kept them much more true to their characters Threw in a regular shredder, who like because he came back. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna really kill him in the first movie. No. Let's be honest. No. He has to, you can't ever kill him. He's he has to be the ongoing nemesis, you know. And uh, Casey Jones, they retconned him a little because well, they retconned April O'Neil as well. Yeah, she's still a reporter. Yeah, but, but not... she owned the Ninja Turtles. Those were her childhood pets. That was pets. weird, yeah, she, how she named them in the first... Like, a lot of the choices of the first one did carry over because they kind of... They can't, they I can't... mean, it, maybe it, t- it makes more sense about why a grown woman is friends with, <laughs> with a bunch of teenager. turtles. Like, she'd be like, these are were my pets. Yeah. Maybe I'm turning around on uh, the first one here. Mm-hmm. Coming around on it right now. Fair enough. I was a little worried... Um, yeah, every character is better. Like, April O'Neil is better. She's more capable. Uh, she's got that sexy schoolgirl outfit in the trailers. I was actually... That was only in it for, like, a minute or Why two. Why does she wear that in the context of the movie? Well, she is trying to uh, copy data or clone data from a device that Baxter Stockman has, who's played by... Um, oh, Ter- Tyler Perry? Tyler Perry. That's... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Which is a weird, weird choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he is, he's just ridiculous. He's actually probably the worst part of the movie. Oh, he's not good. He's not good. Um, that sucks. I was hoping he'd be kind of good in it. Uh, yeah. That's a bit of an interesting, like it's a bold casting. He choice. is too weird. Like he plays it very out there and it just, 
I know it's weird saying it's strange saying that he's too weird in a movie about mutant turtles, mm-hmm. uh, but he just doesn't fit. Well, do we we, he, we do we get any? He's not no. Okay, he's just a dude. Okay, you know, I, uh, for people who know Baxter Stockman, I don't want to. Sp- I, no, does he turn into a bug? No, no. He they sort of set it up if they do another one that that could happen. Okay. Um, yeah, so, that's kind of what I was hoping for. So, so April's trying to clone this data from his device, and he gives it to his assistant, and so she just kind of follows him, and she goes into what, like Grand Central Station or something, and there's a bunch of schoolgirls standing around, so she sort of just changes her outfit slightly. Okay, to to fit, fit in. in. Okay, and then, fair enough. And then pull, pulls him over with puts a cowboy hat on him just to get him to stay still and take a picture with all these schoolgirls, and it works. Do we get a scene where Michelangelo wears a trench coat? No. Damn. No. <laughs> would be great right uh yeah it's stupid it's ridiculous krang is pretty cool though he's gross looking he is really gross looking uh weird brain tentacle alien and who's the voice it was going to be um his voice is, is it was going to be fred armison and i think brad garrett his voice is a little weird because it, it was much more high like i was expecting the high-pitched krang this was a little more gravelly yeah uh, which was all right. He's a menacing alien. The so it's stupid. Like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's some fun action and there's some funny moments. Really, like Will Arnett actually has a better role in this. He was pretty obnoxious and ridiculous in he, the first film. He he helps out in some pretty great ways simply because he took all the credit for the first movie. Like, because the turtles couldn't take credit for defeating Shredder, so he was the one that oh, they... Oh, that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> so he's got, like, the key to the city. He's, like, called the Falcon or something like that, so everyone loves him. He's now a celebrity. <laughs> so it's it's pretty good. I don't know. It's, like, a 5 out of 10, which is... Oh, no, that's that's bad. Well, it's watchable. That I wouldn't say a 5 out of 10 is watchable usually, Mike. Um, <laughs> like, five, you, can't, yeah. you can't sell someone it's a 5 out of 10... You should go watch it. Okay, okay hold on. Let me re- okay. Watch a bull is different than saying you should go watch it. <laughs> Let me rephrase this. Critically, from a critical perspective, this movie is a five out of a ten. If you just if you enjoy the turtles and know that it's not gonna like it's not a great film, but mm-hmm. it, it does have some fun stuff and the action's all right, and you like the turtles, watch it. I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely worth it. To, to watch if you kind of ha- yeah, are a fan okay. of the turtles. Okay, I, I don't think <clears throat> I don't think American audiences thought it was worth it because it hasn't made a lot of money. So over the seventeen days that Tur- uh, Ninja Turtles two has been out, uh, it's made seventy one million dollars. Mm. And over the seventeen days that the original film was out, uh, it amassed one hundred and forty five. Yeah, so that's... It's, it's literally made like less than half. Yeah. Of what the original one did at the same, you know, after the same length of time, box office not looking good across the board right now. No, that's true. Ticket sales are down. I think at the lowest level since the nineteen twenties. Jesus, for, for June, I believe. Wow, it's not so, been a great year. Oh, I don't know why we do this podcast. Like, <laughs> who's watching films anymore? Yeah, no one. I guess not. So they don't need to listen to our show. Um, Maybe that's why there are 20 minutes worth of ads at every <laughs> movie right now. It's obnoxious, and Ugh. as a paying customer, why do I... doesn't make any We've sense. We've been over this. I watched Virtuosity, starring Denzel Washington... Are you kidding and me? ...and Russell Crowe. Holy crap! What, is that from the late 90s? It's from the... It's from... Mid-90s? Literally the middle of the 90s. 95? It is a 95 <laughs> film. 
So for the oh. audience, if you haven't seen this, I struggle to call it a gem because it's not. Like, it's not good, <laughs> right? It's not a good movie. I hardly remember it, honestly, <sighs> which which I guess says a lot about it. I think it came out in the same year as Johnny Mnemonic. Um, oh, Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Johnny Mnemonic's probably better than this. So Virtuosity is brutal. It stars Denzel Washington as an ex-con, or he's a in he's a convict um who killed his wife like his his wife and daughter were murdered by this political activist who was getting revenge on Denzel Washington for you know right. broadcasting his this political terrorists i guess leading the police to him anyway Denzel Washington's wife and daughter get murdered by this political terrorist so Denzel Washington murders the political terrorist as one does ends up in jail uh in when in jail he gets selected for this virtuosity program ridiculous in which um police trainees will fight against the they will go into vr and they will fight against these ai programs kind of like the matrix um in order to train and get better at being a cop hmm so there's this character named Sid 6.7, <laughs> played by Russell Crowe, uh, a very young-looking Russell Crowe, obviously, right? He's, he hadn't really... It was, I think, before LA, it was before LA Confidential when he really got big, and then Gladiator and stuff. So um, he plays this serial killer, like an amalgamation of over 200 evil um, terrorists, you know, basically all the most terrible people that you can imagine in history, all their personalities are like scanned somehow and then rolled into one AI program. So like Hitler's personality and a Charles Manson and John Wayne Gacy, they're, they're all rolled into this one persona. Seems like a good idea. And then the dominant, you know, personas, you know, took over and shaped this AI program. So nothing will go wrong here, right? Nothing will go wrong. So Russell Crowe plays this AI program. Right, basically, dumb fuck McGee, this idiot who works at the lab, decides to. They have these weird clone bodies, right? These <laughs> these weird, like these weird. Of, of, why not? Yeah, they have these weird empty blanks. These weird, just empty bodies. Why do they have? Those? Yeah, so they download the AI, basically bringing Russell Crowe, Sid point six point seven. He's brought into the real world. So what if an AI came to life, oh, and it was, shit. and the AI was created out of two hundred evil personalities all rolled into one? It's ridiculous. I'm sure they just cancel each other out and he's so he's made out great. of silicon, like like Russell Crowe's made out of silicon. And you might remember this image from the movie. Um, anytime he gets like he'll get his hand cut off, and there's all this blue shit going everywhere. He can actually grab glass. And reformulate his body with it. So you'll see these weird blue tentacles shooting out of his arm, scratching along this glass window, like sucking the silicon out of the glass, rebuilding his body. Kind of awesome looking. It's really cool. And there'll hmm. be these big burn marks, these like empty holes in windows where it's like burned through where he's extracted the glass. Anyway, I don't remember this movie at all. Yeah, Virtuosity is ridiculous, but the the reason why it's called that is because they have these floating VR helmet things with Denzel Washington and I guess Kelly Lynch. They're in these 
VR armature things. It's like out of the Assassin's Creed trailer. Uh, like it's yeah. You're in this VR helmet, but you actually have mobility, and you're you're sort of hanging. Like you're in like a, you know, those roller coasters where your feet are hanging. Mm. You know, yeah. Like one of those, like a you know, you're hanging from carriage. suspended carriage. Yeah. So he's like fighting guys in Denzel Washington's like he's kicking people's asses in this VR thing. The most ridiculous thing of this whole movie is just Russell Crowe's campy and wacky performance. He's just cackling and like dropping these ridiculous one-liners. It it might be the most 1995 movie ever made. So you think that's all on him or lack of direction? I mean, he's early in his career and he's just fe- he's just fearlessly jumping into yeah, that's a fair. role. So, I mean, and it's the 90s. And movies like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat were all the rage. <laughs> yeah. It's just wacky, ridiculous shit. But Virtuosity, get it from your local library. I'm sad that Raul Julia's last movie was, was Street, Street Fighter. Fighter. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, that's not a good one to go out on. No. And especially, like, the fact that, it, like, at the end of the movie, it's like, this is dedicated to Raul. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for dedicating Street Fighter to me. Thanks for that, guys. Um, oh, God. What, what else you got? Anything? Yeah, actually, one thing I forgot. One of my favorite line in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> uh, they're jumping out of a plane to another plane because they're tracking uh, Bebop and Rocksteady in, like, Brazil. Uh, <laughs> you know, as one does. Okay, it's like the equivalent of the snow sequence in the first one, like sort the of. big set piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the reason that's happening is because Krang wants Shredder to get pieces of a teleporter that are around the world so that he can teleport the Technodrome He wants there. to bring tech. Fucking awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Uh, so they're like, okay, here's a plane. Uh, okay, we can make it. And Donatello just jumps out of the plane. Like, he doesn't have a parachute or anything. He lands on the, the other plane and creates a hook. So Michelangelo and Leonardo jump out. They give Raph a parachute because apparently he's afraid of heights when does bane show up uh what <laughs> this sounds like the beginning of dark knight oh, <laughs> rises yeah. uh he doesn't this just leads to my favorite line of the movie where raf is freaking out he can't like he can't get himself to jump out of this plane and he's just like what would win what would vin diesel do <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's not bad like, that's not bad i, I, like, I, I kind of right. they i mean they're teenagers they watch the internet yeah they, they watch fast and furious movies man yeah so like of course the of course the ninja turtles are big vin diesel fans man come on it makes total sense that Raphael is a vin diesel fan <laughs> i, I kind of like the idea of him being a wuss and not wanting to just jump out of the plane that's a nice little nice little twist on yeah there were a couple on of wrath there were a couple of like height scenes in the movie that he just was not okay, okay with i like it yeah um, he's not as tough as he exactly as he as he, as he lets on, right? Yeah. Um, but speaking of Will Arnett, who was in Turtles, I watched. I finished watching Flaked on okay. Netflix. Okay. Um, no one's talking about I, this. Came and went really quickly. Yeah, it came out a couple months ago. I forgot it existed. I had watched a couple episodes. It, I, I think I just wasn't sure the to- like what tone it was going for because I thought it might be funny, but it's not at all. Like it is a straight up drama. Uh, about Will Arnett's character who killed a kid when he was drunk and now like 10 years later he leads AA meetings and stuff like that lives uh, in Venice in California Um, I heard that's who it's made for it's made for people who live in Venice Beach I could see that because it uh, it talks a lot about Venice like it's it's like a handcrafted Venice Beach you know homespun thing yeah, it, it really does focus on the community of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it definitely gained some like the first few episodes i thought were a little slow a little off but it was really doing its world building and then at episode four it really started to hit its stride for me and it's only eight episodes they're only like 30 minutes each so it's not a a heavy watch if you wanted to check it out Mm. but it gets i thought it got really good because all of a sudden things get a lot more complicated and Will Arnett's character, basically the one, the constant throughout the whole show was he lies to people, but he also sort of lies to himself. And it's a journey to see how he'll play with that. Like, will he, but he's a good guy at the same time. Mm. So will he tell the truth or will he lie? Like, is he lying to better his own life or is he actually selflessly trying to help is, someone is out? pathological or? Yeah. Um. So it got. I thought it got really interesting, huh. and it was definitely worth checking out. You got was, my curiosity here. Yeah, so it's it's not a huge time investment, but I thought Will Arnett did a fantastic job. Uh, I don't know if they'll continue it because it, it kind of wrapped up fairly nicely. Okay, I was going to ask. Did, I don't. I didn't hear anything about any renewals. No, c- c- they could leave it just as is. It would be good, and I'd be okay with it. Huh. So it's worth checking out. Yeah, I, I know. I, is it well shot and stuff? I mean, it's, yeah. it's the guy. It's the Dark Knight director or the it's a very well shot the dp like wally wally pfister pfister yeah um yeah kind of dropped the ball with transcendence tell you that yeah well that that whole movie dropped the ball (laughs) yeah i don't know if that was his fault uh you know it's it's i think it would just is different than what people were expecting because will arnett hasn't really done a lot like this before Mm -hmm. so it just wasn't like it what i mean i'm I'm guessing it gets it gets pretty dramatic at points or yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there there is some comedy in there, obviously. It's a drama as, as any drama has. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it it is really, it's worth a watch. Okay. I was surprised. You, you got me on it. I, I'm gonna check it out. I was surprised at how the turns went and how different lies led. Like, mm-hmm. just I'm not gonna talk about any of the reveals or spoilers. No, no, no. I, I'm into it. it. I'm, uh, I'm gonna actually watch it. There are a few bombs that drop. You're like, what the sh? Nice. Yeah. Who else is in it? Anyone? No one famous. No. Oh, actually, Christopher Mintz-Plass uh, shows up oh, at some point. Okay, McLovin? McLovin. Nice. Um, he plays a tech billionaire, basically. Oh, that's that perfect, up. actually. So uh, he's got an interesting character. If there were, if they were to continue, he'd be a big part of season two, I think. Okay. Um, so what did I... The last thing I watched... Um, I mean, I guess we can talk about it in the review. I watched Finding Nemo. Nice. For technically the first time. I, I guess I really watched it. I, I don't think I'd actually seen the whole thing, um, which was great because I watched Finding Nemo on Friday, uh, and then I watched Finding Dory last night. So there it, you go. It, it, it's perfect to like these will be a great double feature back to back. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they've I felt like I didn't miss a beat. It was perfect. Nice. Um, but anyway, should have done that too. <laughs> yeah. Had you have you not seen Nemo in a while? It's been a few years. Um. So the beginning of this movie gave me the old usual Pixar uh, like emotional gut punch routine in the first 30 seconds of your movie. <laughs> oh, P- Pixar. People love Pixar. They're really good. Um, I, I just, I don't see that as fair. I don't, I don't see that as good. F- like people think it's so, the beginning of Up, people think is the, the most brilliant thing ever. Uh, none of that is earned to me you can't just show me this this guy who feels you know looks sad and has like his he's beside his wife's grave and then play some sad music and have their eyes the size of dinner plates like this stuff is 
engineered very, very, very specifically. Like all of these things, there's no accidents going into. It's beautifully done. Don't get me wrong. Up is a great example of visual and storytelling. It is, and that's what Pixar does best. For example, we can talk about it in our review, but Piper is Piper is ast- yeah. astounding, astounding. The short film that precedes Finding Dory is probably it might be the best single work I've ever seen Pixar do. Just, I, w- I would agree with you just, on that. Just as a single piece, you know, of of a long, you know, feature film or short film. Well, actually, I'm just going to quickly go to Up. I think that would have worked better just as a short, a short film. Just that opening, just piece. that opening piece. That's that's what I feel because yeah. then you can just judge it as it is. Because the rest of the movie is actually only okay. It doesn't. It doesn't. But, you know, live up to that promise that's given delivered to you in the first five minutes. People and, may and, hate me for saying that about Up, but <laughs> well, it's it, it made a lot of people cry. But we didn't know anything about, uh, you know. Ed Asner, you know, or his, we, we get it all visually, but well, we learned a lot. I don't think we needed to know anything. I know, but like generate, you generate emotion from being attached to characters as opposed to just meeting them for the first two seconds and then generating sympathy. I'll give Disney credit. This was more about them just being human. It's, (laughs) it's, it's just, to me, it's some, it feels a bit unfair sometimes. Like they just, they, they punch you in the gut when (laughs) you're not even expecting it. Um, that's that, that, and then people think that, and people just say, "Oh, it's beautiful! It's it's amazing art!" And it's like, no, they just took a like they sucker they just, punched exactly. You. They wound up really hard, <laughs> and then just <laughs> fucking delivered it right into your gut, and then you went, Whoosh. "Yeah, okay." Um, but anyway, Finding Nemo begins the same way, right? Uh, Nemo loses his mother in a very tragic opening. Like Jesus, we just got into this movie, and. We get this. Finding Dory did the same thing. It opens with just a punch in the gut. Mm. Um, but I did notice, even in Finding Nemo, Dory equals Leonard Shelby in Memento. I'm sure this has been pointed <laughs> yes. out a thousand times, but I just, I love it. I also um, remember back to when this movie came out. Uh, it's a phenomenon you see in film a lot where it will, you know, audiences will see something on screen and then respond to it really strongly so clark gable he stopped wearing like a tank top like in, it, it happened one night i think basically clark gable takes off his shirt in the movie it, it happened one night and he wasn't wearing the usual undershirt that a gentleman would wear the tank top mm. wife beater if you're an asshole <laughs> um yeah the the tank top was a you know a, a staple of the male yeah, fashion line for hundreds of years, I think. He just opened his shirt and was bare chested. Sales of undershirts like plummeted overnight. <laughs> dudes were just not having it anymore. When ET came out, I don't have to wear this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, when ET came out, all the, the the price or the sorry the sale of Reese's pieces just skyrocketed. Went nuts. Yeah, I can see that. When Finding Nemo came out. The sale of clownfish <laughs> went absolutely through the roof. Like I remember reading articles about how pet stores were just, you we know, selling up. them for you know like thousands of dollars a piece and stuff. <clears throat> um, which is ironic, given the plot know, of right? Finding <laughs> Nemo. That's perfect. Isn't that amazingly ironic? 
Oh, wow. You have all these people who love Finding Nemo. He's so cute. Let's split up other fish families ourselves. Exactly. Let's just fish the ocean clean for all of these cute guys and and literally do what happened to Nemo in the movie. Well done, humanity. <laughs> they have really weird foreheads. They do. It's weird because it's like, like... They give them his human Klingon forehead things. Like, don't even bother. Just leave it smooth. Like... I guess you need that to emote and, yeah. and to um, I don't know anthro- anthropomorphize. You know, that's I think they went key. a little far with the foreheads, though. You're right. Like <laughs> we're talking about. Welcome to the show. We're talking about the foreheads <laughs> in Finding Nemo right now. Well, and and in Finding Dory, I noticed that a lot. Yeah. It, well, it's much better. Yeah. Resolution or just you know better graphics. Um, I loved how the sharks in Finding Nemo were like basically recovering AA members, like mm-hmm. they're. Like they're weaning off of meat, you know, and they're sort of like, we're trying our best. And, um, Sharks Anonymous or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love in both of these movies all of the, you, you get to sort of experience, you know, the remnants and the relics of humankind in, you know, there's like a, a minefield and a submarine. Mm. For, I guess it's World War Two, right? Because we're, yeah. we're off the coast of the Great Barrier Reef. So you guess you're seeing Pacific theater of war you know battleships and stuff yeah just minefields and submarines and stuff like kind of neat it's amazing how much stuff is on the bottom of the ocean yeah obviously they get like most of these movies would just be empty (laughs) nothingness right water um which is kind of one of my problems with finding nemo and the reason why i think finding dory is a superior film for sure in my opinion Finding Nemo is extremely repetitive um, and over long as well. I, I think it, it it follows the sort of the same little loop throughout the movie. Like we get new location, something happens. Well, I get. Yeah, and, and it's just, it, it doesn't really vary up the sort of beats as much as Dory does, which is awesome. Like Dory's yeah, like, like an adventure. That. Like we get all of these different elements, different characters. Um, a lot of Finding Nemo is just literally a blue screen with flickering light. Like, it's just two characters on screen just sort of swimming. And we get a lot of scenes where the same sort of dialogue. Oh, Dora, you keep forgetting. We got to go here. I don't know. Um, American Tale is way better, in my Ooh, opinion. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Right? Oh, that movie terrified me Ooh, as a child. Wee, the the, the uh, big cat thing. The, the big mouse right. thing they release yeah. at the end. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What was that? Nightmare fuel is what that was. Yeah. What was it called? The Mad Mouse of Minsk or something, I believe? Yeah. Oh. Um, so that'll do it for what we've been watching, I guess, unless you got yeah. anything else. That's what I got. That's what you got? All right. Check out some news. Let's do it.
fun title drop with a classic <laughs> rock tune. So good. He's kicking little aliens and stuff and dancing in the water. Singing into the little alien rat thing. Yeah, it feels very different than all the other Marvel movies. Um, it's It's really basic, though. Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, there's something about it that I don't like. You love it's a, it's it? You, actually, lo- you, you love it? It's actually a pretty standard story, just with, like, the rock music being juxtaposed with all these crazy sci-fi things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that it's not just... Like, the music is actually there for most of it. So it just seems so strange. Like, the... The, well, the human amongst aliens, and it, it feels like an '80s movie, which is mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it does. It's a Buckaroo Banzai. Kinda. It looks modern, but it feels, yeah, definitely has that old school feel. It, it's, it would have been cooler if it bombed horribly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's fair to say. Because then people would say, "Oh, it's this hidden gem." No one can say, "Hey, have you heard of this little film called Guardians of the?" I think it was the the highest. Ticket, you know, it's the biggest box office of 2014. Yep. If I recall correctly. Um, mm-hmm. It's exceptionally well made. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess we get into the sad news here. Um, so, Anton Yelchin died today. Yeah. So I, uh, best known as Chekhov in the Star Trek reboot, I suppose. Yeah. I, I would say that's probably his most wide-reaching role. I mean, he was in the remake of Fright Night. Yeah. He's an alpha dog, I think. Yeah, that was like his breakout role, I think. Unfortunately tragic. Yeah, like this... Bizarre way to go. This is so sad. It is really terrible. He he got pinned against his... I guess the front... The brick gate of his San Fernando Valley home. You know, I guess he's in a gated community or his house at least. And the yeah. driveway was apparently very steep and he got pinned against the brick wall of his. Yeah. Crushed by his car that he thought I'm sure was parked because apparently I think these are Jeep grand Cherokees or mm-hmm. something. There was a recall because they kept sliding out of park. So just this random event killed this guy. It's, and it's horrible. Yeah, actually, there's been a lot of deaths this year for celebrities. Yeah. And, but this this one, I was just like, what? It's Are you kidding me? Completely like out of nowhere, no, right? It's like not an overdose. It's just this random, bizarre yeah. event. <clears throat> um, so that sucks. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Um, thoughts and prayers he, go out to his family. Exactly. He, he is going to be seen next in Star Trek Beyond, which now takes a totally different tone. Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of that now, it, it seems. I mean, I guess you always had this, but actors dying very close to the release or before, you know, prior to the release of, of a big movie. Do you think there's a conspiracy here? No, <laughs> not at all. And I'm yeah. sure I'm wrong, and it's happened all the time. You know, I remember Oliver Reed died like in the making of Gladiator, and they killed his character. Oh, was that when he died? What? Really? Yeah, he like died of an alcohol like you know, oh. heart induced heart attack. Wow! <clears throat> yeah, I didn't know that. He's he's the sort of mentor to Maximus's character, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, but Paul Walker, and then now Anton Yelchin. It's going to be hard to watch Star Trek now with. Yeah, there were a lot of tweets from the cast, like Carl Urban's tweet out and mm-hmm. stuff as they were finding out. Was, yeah, they were all just. <clears throat> 
Unbelieving. And, and I, I, I don't know who, you know, I obviously then the next movie's already done and finished. So Star Trek four, we'll just have to begin with him, you know, not part of the cast anymore, which is super sad. Mm-hmm. So too bad he was, uh, I thought he was gaining steam maybe. Like he was doing a lot more independent <clears throat> stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Red had, has just seen Green Room. We'll have to—he's not going to be on next week. We'll have to ask him. I've heard that he was amazing in Green Room. Yeah, yeah. So he's—he's he's a really good actor. Um, so moving on on in awkward transition. Yeah. Um, so Helen Mirren. Speaking of talking about Fast and the Furious, what earlier? She got cast in Fast 8. She fulfilled her, quote, lifelong dream. Literally her words. It was her lifelong dream to I think be she's, in a... In a... In a... In a she being facetious? In a, in, a, in a humorous way. I mean, she's obviously done everything that an actor could want to do. Winning Oscars, doing broad... You know, like on stage, doing it all. And doing doing, doing something like this, extremely campy and... Michael Bayish, you know, I could see her doing a Transformers movie for sure. She was really good in Red, retired and extremely dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I don't really ever want to see those movies. They seem so just like I'm too old for this shit. The first one actually was was pretty entertaining. Second was just more like I don't want to watch. Like, I don't want to watch the bucket list either. You know? No, nah, never seen that. I can't comment. I don't ever want to see that either. Um, but yeah, so. The internet is speculating that she's probably going to play the parents of Jason Statham and, uh, like, the Cross brothers, mm. I believe, like, the two villains from the last movies. So she'll be a villain? It, it makes sense, because she, she, you know, she, she's obviously British, and... British people are the villains. It make like, her age would make sense to have sons that of that age. Yeah. Um, Actually, if there's one thing that Deadpool taught me, it's that... You'll always have a British villain. They always work, right? I think it's just because... Why is that? I don't know. If they're legit <clears throat> Brits, they're usually better actors. So we, you kind of need a good actor to play the villains to make it compelling. Um, but yeah, it's Luke Evans and Jason Statham. They mm, play yeah. uh, the Shaw brothers. Owen Shaw, I believe. Um, it would just be perfect casting for her. It's, it's just sort of like a string of revenge now because you've killed... You know, yeah. The first Shaw brother, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke Evans. Luke Evans gets killed, and then Jason Statham's like, "I'm gonna avenge my brother." And then now we're basically. I think Jason Statham makes it out of Fast Seven, though. You're not familiar, are you? No, I haven't seen Seven. It's bad. Okay, we're gonna move on. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Donald Glover joined the cast of Spider-Man: Homecoming, uh, along with Martin Starr from Silicon Valley. But this is interesting because. The internet really wanted Donald Glover to play Miles Morales. Miles Morales, I guess, when right around the time they were casting for the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in probably 2012. Yeah. Um, the internet really wanted him. Now he's in. So do you think it'd be he, interesting if he showed up as Miles Morales? Um, I think his his actual character has maybe been revealed. Let oh, me check okay. here. Well, that's too bad. At least he's part of Spider-Man. Um, yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming, eh? Because I know he likes Spider-Man, so that's good Good for him. Doing stuff after Community. <laughs> yeah, it's still under wraps. Okay. 
Yeah. But so we do, you know, we obviously hope. we know Michael Keaton is playing the Vulture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, it would actually be a little weird to have Miles Morales be in this one and have him play it because it, it, you just recast Spider-Man like you just we, we have Tom Holland like we have a brand new one don't we yeah well and for anyone listening who has like what the hell are these guys talking about Miles Morales is also a Spider-Man like he's a new Spider-Man <clears throat> so so <clears throat> but how he's, does he's younger than Peter Parker so how does he fit into the chronology of like I is it because spider Peter Parker got married and had kids and sort of hung up the, I don't know uh, it's weird comic hung up the, the web shooters I think he got his powers the same way. Like he just got bit by a spider or something. I don't know. Okay. I could be terribly wrong and write me and let me know. <laughs> uh, send an email to the show and correct me. Verticalviewing at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, but he's just, he is the younger version of Spider-Man. Um, so, you know, it would be weird to have him be older than Tom Holland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. It, I. I mean, it's. He's gonna be cast some in some different role, and I think it's more of just like a a, a wink and a nod. It's like, hey, hey, we know you wanted him. We but... got. We got you into a Spider-Man movie, which may be almost like insult to injury. It kind of seems wanna, like that. We. You, you want to play the, you know, the web slinger himself, but you're not gonna. It really. And, like this, if that's this, why they're they chose to do this, it is more insult to injury. I think, and, and it means he'll never be. He'll never be Spider-Man. He'll never be. You can't put him, yeah. Uh, so moving on, Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. He's got okay. a movie He's got a movie coming out this year. Really? Yeah. So Denis Villeneuve, he's pimping it, okay? He's pimping it straight, slinging. He's slinging it. He had Enemy and then Prisoners in the same year, 2013. And now he set up the Sicario Septology. Yeah, we're going to talk about that maybe. Um but basically, he had Sicario last year and also has a movie in the works that's coming out this year. So he's sort of basically doing almost the same thing, having two movies in one year. This guy kicks some serious ass. Uh, Those are all good. I actually, I haven't seen Enemy. <sighs> I, I watched f- Prisoners. fucking kidding me? No, it's on my to-watch list. We'll finish that. Yeah. Oh Prisoners my... is, was great. Okay, Enemy's even better. Okay. And it's un, it's fucking amazing. So please watch Enemy, and the folks out there also watch Enemy. Yeah, especially if you're from the Toronto area, you will find cool. a lot of things in that movie to like. Um, Is Jake Gyllenhaal going to be in this next movie? This next movie? No. Okay. So Denis Villeneuve has a movie called The Story of Your Life coming out. Okay? Weird title, right? You don't know anything about the movie from what I just said. No. It's called The Story of Your Life. <clears throat> it's about... Is it about the viewer? No. Amy Adams stars as a linguist who gets called by the U.S. government to interpret the language that is coming out of the UFOs. What? Uh huh. That have just landed on Earth. There you go. How does that title make any sense with that plot description? Yeah, so aliens have landed on Earth, and Amy Adams plays a linguist who is basically tasked with interpreting the language, you know, the, the language trying to communicate with these with these aliens. Sounds amazing. I'm down. They've retitled the movie. Oh, okay. It's called Arrival. That makes a little more sense. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you like that a little better? Yeah, it's still kind of bland. I but. know, I know. It, it, I mean, you already have The Arrival with Charlie Sheen, which is a kind of a sick movie from 1996 where the aliens, remember they have their knees and they go backwards 
and they're like jumping over buildings and stuff. Oh shit! You remember Charlie yeah. Sheen? Yeah, he works for SETI, and these aliens sort of have these backwards legs that are like little jumping bean people. I've seen a lot of films that I don't remember from the nineties. <laughs> well, uh, this movie comes out on November eleventh. I'm really pumped for Arrival. If, if if you just say to me, Denis Villeneuve is making an alien invasion movie. Coming out on uh, Remembrance Day, huh? Yeah, weird, right? Hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there, was a, uh, <clears throat> there was some footage screened at CinemaCon this year, and it apparently was like one of the highlights of the show. I, mm. I suspect they've retitled this movie, and a trailer is probably imminent. You know what I mean? If, if a... Cool. If, if they've settled on a final title, the marketing is probably getting put together literally right now. Uh, so I'm hoping for a trailer for Arrival soon. I think they got feedback at that con saying, what is it? This title doesn't make any sense. It's, I mean, there's a short story I think it's based on when it's uh, called The Story of Your Life. I, I'm assuming after you see the movie, it makes perfect sense why it's called that. Probably. That's actually maybe a bit of a spoiler for what this... Like, I imagine if I read into that title... I'm imagining they open up communications with these aliens and then the aliens flash your life before your eyes or something. No, could be. That'd be crazy. They could just be recording everybody's life. Yeah. It sounds like something. Yeah. Maybe you just make the title a bit more vague than, and it's just, it's a bad title. Yeah. Um, (laughs) well, and there's been movies in the past that have suffered from a bad title that didn't do well simply because it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal on getting that thing right. Yeah. Like uh, John Carter. Yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> what? No one knew what the heck was going on. Um, so Tyler Hawklin. Yeah, okay. Uh, he got cast as the Man of Steel in Supergirl. Really? So he's the new Superman on the small screen, of course. On the CW show now. He played McReynolds in Everybody Wants Some. <clears throat> and I thought he was one of the best parts of that movie. He, I'm not, was, he was really good. That's, that's that's the only work that I'm familiar with of his. So yeah, he's done some other stuff. So I think he was on the hall in the Hall Pass movie with uh, Owen Wilson or whatever. And at Farrelly Brothers. Anyway, yeah, that was not not a good. Movie. That is one of the worst comedies I've seen in the last decade. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, but he yeah. was he was in that offensive. So not really a claim to fame there i guess but good god he, he, he must have been um, quite young in that one yeah he was amazing as mcreynolds i'm excited actually i know and just take off that mustache he looks a lot like super, he's a good superman mm-hmm. like maybe better than henry cavill at least looks more like superman to me no henry cavill is a pretty good superman he's pretty good he's got the chin um which is something you can only yeah you can't keep, fake that. yeah I, I guess you could maybe go to beverly hills and Get your face cut open. Yeah, or just use prosthetics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we talked about Sicario. The director is now uh, explaining that he wants to make a trilogy of films. Yeah, that's why I said septology, because it's just going to keep expanding, I think. So is this... We'll see how Soldado does. Yeah, this is kind of bold. In, in, a, in, a, in a world where... Like a lot of we talk about too much sequels. Is this this is ridiculous, right? Yeah, I was I was curious about Soldado, but a lot of what made Sicario so successful was Denis Villeneuve. 
And Roger Deakins. And Roger Deakins. Yeah, yeah. Like, because it was just such a visually intense... Emily Blunt, too, right? She is awesome. Well, the the three of them were amazing. Yeah, it's true. So not having her in there is a bit of a blow. But it still doesn't really... You still got, you know, Benicio and... And uh, Josh Brolin. Like, those two guys are, you know, if they're squaring off with the, you know, against each other or partnering with each other either way that's badass you know? they already had a really interesting relationship where they were like a well-oiled machine so seeing seeing that again would be i would definitely be up for it but yeah matt if, matt graver if it doesn't have that visual impact that the first one does um <clears throat> i'm worried that's gonna drop it down from i think i gave sicario a nine you guys were all over it this might end up being like a well, here's the seven thing. I hope it's better than that, but... Oh, I don't know if it'll even be that good. It's got some big names, but let's be honest, this is going to be some shovelware Walmart material. Like, I think people are making a huge deal of this, thinking like, oh my God, why is this... I doubt... This might not even get a theatrical release. Let's let's think about that. Like, this might be literally direct to, to <laughs> Blu-ray or... or VOD. Or VOD. We don't know. That's and then true. in that case, you're going to say, oh, well, the quality of this must be... Like real, like significantly lower than Sicario, you know. I, I'm hoping not. Um, but the director Stefano Solima, uh, he said that the idea is to make three anthology movies with some of the core actors uh, and set in the same world. It's not a real sequel. Uh, it's absolutely a standalone movie, a completely different story with just two of the characters that you met in Sicario. Uh, the reason that I love. Soldado is because it's not exactly a sequel. It's something you can catch and enjoy even if you haven't watched the first one. Hmm. Uh, he seemed to contradict himself a little in you want, there. You want a couple more contradictions? Yeah. Um, he went on to explain how Soldado will compare to Denis Villeneuve's original film. He says, I love Sicario. I feel the movie was quite similar to my approach. So to me, I'm just shooting another movie. Uh, so I'm I'm amazing anyways. That was what I that's what I would have done. Um, Sodato will be much more cinematic than Sicario was. What? It's got an incredible amount of huge action sequences in there. It will be a different journey in the same world. Even the theme is different. It's not drug dealing. It's more about immigration. Does he understand what cinematic means? There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? We can get to the immigration thing in a second. He he said that it's going to be more cinematic. Like how dare like you can't you Are can't you talk to me kidding me. Like if if you're saying that a, a, a Roger Deakins movie isn't cinematic, like you're fucking done. You're done, buddy. Like we're kicking you out of the bar wow. at this point. Like you can say whatever you want about Roger Deakins. You can not like him. But to say he's like that is just it's pure cinema. It's just painting with light. Jesus. So I guess he means maybe he's amazing. What else has this guy done? He did um, Gamora, which is a Italian gangster movie that that is really high, like well reviewed. Oh, okay. Um, it's like a Sicilian gangster movie, like in Sicily. But this, so I mean, it kind of translates a, a little. Um, he, I guess, he means it's more cinematic by the by saying it's more there's more action in it which well i know and that's why i said i don't think he understands what cinematic i mean he's he, he's it might be lost in translation a little bit right he's yeah, i suppose he, uh and well, I, I do like the idea that it's about immigration and not drug dealing i don't i don't know if that he might just be blown smoke just to try to differentiate 
the movie. I mean, that would be really cool if it's not even about drug running. You know, he... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Gillick, so. like D- Del Toro goes down for a different reason. He's not busting drug dealers. He's busting, I don't, know, it, immigrants. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just all about him trying to immigrate. <laughs> right. Um, and there, this is a little piece of news. They're, uh, they're doing season nine of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Wow. Yeah. Nine seasons. Well done. That's a great show. I mean... I get that they're slowing down making it, but don't ever stop. It's so good. <clears throat> and E3 news. Do you have anything that stands out to you most from E3 2016 that completed its run this past week? There were a few stands out. Stands out? Standouts. Probably some standees. Uh, you know, yeah. probably some big standees in the convention center. I thought Sony had a really good press conference. So there's, I'm happy because I have a PlayStation 4 and there's that, a lot of good stuff. That orchestra at the beginning just pounding away. Yep. God of War 4 or whatever it's called. It's just called God of War. Which God, God of 4? God of War. Just God <laughs> yeah. of War reboot. With, with the new Norse runes behind it as opposed to the Omega sign. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. But I, I let's can we be honest here? Like, let's stop calling everything. Like, just... Like you just can't rebooting. Just, just, you can't just call it to the same... Like, the next... The next Mario game is just going to be called like Super Mario Brothers, just one or something. <laughs> like, you, 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 I'm done with this whole like rebooting back to basics. There's two games called God of War now. Yeah, that's, that's dumb. true. That's dumb. I I agree. Uh, that looked pretty neat. I suppose I don't know what's going on with it yet. <coughs> uh, the the most what the fuck moment was the whole Dead Stranding or well dead? wait 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 before we move on from God of War. What do you think about this whole, like, complete overhaul of the game mechanics? Like, I'm not sure I like it, because God of War was a very arcade mm-hmm. uh, devil, beat, devil beat em up really. Devil May Cry kind of thing. Yeah. And, Bayonetta. And there's not a lot of games like that, and it did it very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was balanced in a way that if you got good at it, like, I played through it a lot, and so I did it on, like, the God difficulty settings or whatever the hell they were. And it was tough. You're talking about the original game? The original games, like one through three. Um, it was tough, but it was designed so well that if you had practiced and stuff, you could do it very capably. And that's, I think, the best... Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. It, <laughs> the combat was designed so well that it allowed you to do that. And you never, if you died, you never felt like it was... It didn't dark. So, it didn't dark souls you up. Well, no, dark souls actually doesn't really cheapen <laughs> either. True, um, but it's just for the games like that. They those are pr- prime examples of how to do beat 'em ups. Like just there's so many dudes, it's ridiculous. You're doing all these crazy moves. <clears throat> you can do mini games to grab women's boobs and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a little weird. Wasn't that strange? The quick time event. Yeah, you're of... hitting like press X, press circle, press X, press circle. It's Move like, the control the sticks like, a little. Oh, oh my goodness. Yep. Ooh, ooh. And then you ended up getting like souls from them or something. Unreal. Like just <laughs> like, ridiculous. Just embarrassing. Yeah, so, so those were great examples of really well-designed combat centric games because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just running in a straight line and I mean there's a couple of little side things to find collectibles but it was just this 
very cinematic yeah and uh, it was about game. chaining together these awesome attacks you know and yeah. at, you unlock new moves you know you know and learning the, how the enemies do stuff and getting the timing down and then the crazy execution moves yeah there was something really satisfying about watching this whirlwind of chaos on screen as you yeah. you know took out all these enemies at once and then they went and dark souls the new game or they went and to, skyrimmed it or something well it looks i don't even i'll have to see what happens but they, they you think they went and tomb raidered it yeah like the the new rise of the tomb raider or whatever the heck that's kind the of what reboot, it, yeah which is just tomb raider again there, dude there you go this is getting old man this is getting yeah. old uh, that's a great game but this looks like they sort of went in that direction like it's now what mm-hmm. a survival game open world survival i'm so tired of this shit i know i know what you mean and it's the, those are the games that sell and I, I i guess i commend santa monica studios right they're the guys who did all the original mm, games yeah. we're doing this one like they just went and said guys fuck like fuck it we're not just making another god of war game that looks pretty we're you, they have the balls to strip the carpet up just reno the whole thing yeah yeah well, you I, know we'll see it's it's kind of the, it's it's what's happening with the movies like there's so many sequels and stuff going on everyone's following the same cookie cutter like, like this one made money let's reboot the franchise more yeah. like this yeah. no stop homogenizing the entire market oh my god it's frustrating oh. right yeah um so you you wanted to move to death stranding here oh yeah that was that let's, was let's get so into it weird so kojima has had a long and tumultuous history with konami yes hideo kojima the creator of metal gear metal gear solid and metal gear and the entire world of solid snake the twisted robotic cybernetic world of Solid Snake and Friends. Those games have the longest cutscenes of any video game franchise. They have giant, fu- like, flaming sperm whales jumping out of buildings. Well, I'm sure Kojima wanted to be a filmmaker because that's what he uses these games for. Mm-hmm. So this movie, or this movie, this game, Death Death Stranding, which the stranding part of it, I I looked it up. That's like beaching, like stranding is when like whales are beaching themselves and stuff like yeah. mass strandings of animals you'll hear about these mass strandings hmm. you know like a hundred whales just beached themselves and died for no reason you i just... guess that makes sense why the entire contents of the ocean was dead on the beach then. yeah so i mean we don't have to spend too much time on this but essentially we've got norman reedus as the protagonist of this from walking dead fame and from pt which do you remember the pt demo where yeah. it revealed that he was Silent Hills, which was going to be such a great game, and then Konami got rid of their game division. Yeah, yeah. And They're so, making pachinko machines, literally. So I think this is going to be along the same lines, just with a different mm-hmm. It feels like they're just turning this weird horror thing. So what we have here, quickly, Norman Reedus wakes up. He's got a sweet butt. He's <laughs> a 3D digital guy. He wakes up on the beach. Naked. He's naked. He's got these weird digital handcuffs that have come off his body. They're like... Tron handcuffs. That's so weird. There's a weird uh, black umbilical cord leading to this little digital baby, or it's a real baby. I think it's a real baby. He's got it's a scar. Norman Reedus has a scar on his stomach. Like to, a cross scar. Yeah, like a, a, maybe some cesarean section has happened and a, a baby has been extracted from this man. Uh, 
He's surrounded by dead sea animals. He's surrounded by dead fish and dead whales. Yeah. And then he's getting these oily black handprints all over his body. And he looks up into the sky and sees five floating figures. Yeah. Just black floating, you know, human, human. forms yeah. floating in the sky. Awesome. It's so crazy. Do they fly away or do they just hang there? No, they fly away. They hang there for like for a few seconds. I think they and disappear. Then, and then they Yeah. Unreal. I'm to like I'm totally sold. Oh, Whatever. I'm hooked. Yeah. I don't Now the speculation begins on what kind of game this is. My guess is it's a like Survival. a open world action. Maybe not open world, but an action 3D. Like you're going to have a guy who looks kind of like Solid Snake. Like, <laughs> no, it's Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus is with kinda, an eye patch. No, nah, but he's still gonna. It's gonna have the same viewpoint as you know Metal Gear games, and you're sort of gonna be moving through areas maybe secretly. I I I just get the picture. It's it's going to be another Metal Gear, just in without the name because he can't make a Metal Gear game because it's owned by Konami, but he wants to still make weird, fucked up sci-fi horror stuff if he can yeah it's gonna be interesting to see so i'm excited yeah and the last thing is final fantasy at least no final final fantasy resident evil resident evil 7 7 biohazard apparently that name trick where it showed seven and then it was part of evil which i thought was cool oh it works in it works with biohazard Bio because it yeah. just has the seven highlighted in the Z. can we can we just get it on the table that Biohazard's a way cooler name than it's so much Resident cooler. Evil? I don't know why they decided to change it to Resident Evil when they brought it over to the States. It's so good. I love playing Biohazard. Yeah. So good. It sounds like a game. It, it's very strange that it's called Resident Evil 7 colon Biohazard here. <laughs> They're doing it again, basically. It's just Resident Evil Biohazard. And then in Japan, it's Biohazard, Resident Evil. But I think that might just be sort of like the side of the cereal box kind of situation in Canada where you have, you know, the French. It's so different. It's like a return to, it's a reboot of the series. They could have just called it Biohazard everywhere. So what's the hook of this game? Full VR. Yeah. Is that good or bad? I think it's pretty good. So a VR Resident Evil game? Yeah. You're just getting... Yeah. Yes. Not not like Resident Evil 6, which is a steaming pile of shit, an example okay. of what not to do with a franchise. Uh, so but we can we can move into our review, but before we do, I just want to remind you that... So you're talking about playing Resident Evil in VR. Mm -hmm. Sounds terrifying, right? I'd like to remind you that a man in, I think, Sri Lanka or India this week went to go see The Conjuring 2 and had a heart attack and died. Wow, was that because of the movie or... Yeah, he yeah, was okay. overwhelmed with fear. Wow. So I think wow. it's once people start playing Resident Evil in VR, like it's... Why would you want to do that to yourself? You can't take the thing off. You like shut your eyes and they're still... <laughs> you can take the helmet thing off. It, but it... I don't know if you know... Like, you know when dumb people have like a dirt bike and they like rev it up and then they keep... They just keep the throttle wide they open. They keep the throttle and then... But they don't let go. Like, yeah. and, and they just like... They hang on. And they're like, why is this doing this? They don't throttle down. <laughs> I think that's kind of what's going to happen with VR. They're like, I, <laughs> I didn't realize I could take this this thing off. Or it's too late. They're already having a seizure. Yeah, that is possible. It's kind of dangerous. Um, but I mean, 
if you could watch Pixar movies in VR, it'd probably be that'd be pretty cool. Pretty be nice, right? Yeah. Should we get into our review of Finding Dory? Yes, let's. trying to go to the to the gym of the uh baltic the jewel of morro bay california yes no dory california's all the way across the ocean then we better get going how come every time we're on the edge of this reef one of us is trying to leave for once can't we just enjoy the view how can you be talking about the view when i remembered my family no no we've done our ocean travels that part of our lives is over the only reason to travel in the first place is so you don't have to travel ever again so that was a clip from finding dory Finding Dory reunites the friendly but forgetful blue tangfish Dory with her friends Nemo and Marlin on a search for answers about her past. What can she remember? Who were her parents? And where did she learn to speak whale? That's a question I've always wanted answered. Isn't it? Um, yeah, because you you get that in the original. Yeah. Which is quite good. I guess you get the one door. That's okay. That was a good gag. Um, so yes, Finding Dory is written and directed by Andrew Stanton. And it stars Ellen DeGeneres, Albert Brooks, Ed O'Neill, Caitlin Olson, Hayden Rollins, Ty Burrell, Diane Keaton, Eugene Levy, Idris Elba. Yep. Dominic West. Uh, and Sigourney Weaver. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. As Sigourney Weaver. Um, so, yeah, we're here. <laughs> we're, re- <laughs> we're reviewing Finding Dory, everybody. Uh, I will just say off the top, I thought this movie was fantastic. It's really good. This is a brilliant movie. Um, I absolutely adored this movie. might be one of my favorite films of 2016. But you have issue with... I have several issues, yes. How adorable young Dory is. Young Dory is. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that. Mike, what did you think of Finding Dory? Let's start with you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's beautifully animated. Uh, the adventure that we go on was much more varied, as you were talking about with, with Finding Nemo. Uh, so it was more interesting. I thought the characters were much more interesting mm-hmm. in this one than they were in the first um, I thought it struggled, or maybe it was me. Hold on, let me rephrase this. <laughs> I thought it had too many themes that it was working with. 
and it would have probably been better if it focused on one or two of them, but it seemed to be throwing at you like the importance of family as opposed to being or family and friends as opposed to being on your own or, you know, relying on family and um, a central message being like, even if you are say disabled or you have some sort of disability, you can still function just, you know, in a different way. So be open to that. Like you, you can do it the Dory way, for example, Mm -hmm. which was pretty heavy into it. You can still achieve your dreams, even if you're, if you have special needs. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Like that, I thought that was interesting, but also a little undermined with the fact that Dory seems to start actually getting a better memory as the movie goes on, which it's frustratingly inconsistent. Yeah. Her, her disability is not, it's not reliably delivered in the plot. Like it's, it's, it's when it's convenient for the plot, it will, her, her memory will work. Her memory will work. And when it's inconvenient, you know what I mean? I guess it's sort of, only when the plot needs her to forget something, she'll forget something. And when she just remembers stuff when it's the plot needs her to. And I may have to go back and watch it again to re-examine it. Like, perhaps I didn't pick up on it this time around. Uh, but it could be that all those inconsistencies can be explained by it being more long-term memory stuff as opposed to the short-term memory loss she has. Which I would accept, but it just I didn't get that this time. So it has me questioning the whole thing we were just talking about with how it was like plot armor. <laughs> yeah. It's like she can, she'll remember when she needs to and she'll forget when she doesn't. Uh, so that was a little weird to me. So I, I thought if they had focused more on say the one thing, you know, you're different than everybody else. You know, you have this disability, um, but you can overcome it and still be fully functional just in a different way and have the other characters as they did in it, open up to thinking differently and, um, realizing how she does things, you know, all of that. Uh, that would have been better if it just focused on something like that. But it, it threw a bunch of different themes in there, which I thought maybe muddied the waters a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just my take. Maybe, like, it, it could work for other people. But overall, like, that's really the only criticism over of the whole thing that I have. So you thought it that, should have maybe stuck with the the single theme of... Well, I'm always down with less is more when it comes to things like that, especially in, I guess it's a family movie. It's not mm-hmm. just a children's movie. Well, so what, what, what do you think are the other themes that it brings in that are sort of unnecessary without spoiling, I guess? Well, as much as I liked the, the Septipus character, <laughs> yeah. which, was a, which was great. Hank. Um, his whole realization that he didn't want to be alone with other people, I guess, like that was... That was a nice little story point, but I don't think it was necessary to anything because mm-hmm. he was just sort of an incidental character. Uh, well, he, really... he he's someone on Reddit said Hank is Reddit. <laughs> like <laughs> Hank is the internet. Like he's just, you know, he's just wants to stay in his, his little bubble, his and... mom's basement kind of and never go outside. That's true. So I guess that's a pretty good theme. I don't know. I just didn't necessarily fit in with the rest of it because the central characters already know this. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. a secondary plot. I, that... I have a lot of problems with that sort of final, like not, not the action sequence that tops, that sort of is the cherry on top of this movie, which actually is really fun. It's sort of the lead up to that. I find there's some ridiculous plot holes and undeveloped shit that is no like really poorly handled, I think. Um, but we can get there. Sounds good. So overall, since you asked, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
It's definitely not a perfect movie, though. I think I'm going to come out higher than you here. Maybe. Um, so th- there, there was a vertical slice that we had. Maybe a a minor one. Did you did we see this on Metacritic? I don't know if we want to go here. Well, so on Metacritic, we've got say Peter Hartlob from the San Francisco Chronicle. He, he loved this at a hundred. He said the sequel is filled with crowd pleasing action, uh, adventure mm-hmm. and characters. Sometimes mm-hmm. too many characters. Uh, but it rises above its crowded narrative with an intense emotional core, taking a protagonist whose affliction has been played mostly for comedy and exploring the emptiness and loneliness of her plight. Okay, that's 100. Uh, and then we got what's near the bottom. I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, right? I think so. Todd McCarthy, my old friend from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, while rambunctious and passably humorous... This offspring isn't nearly as imaginative and nimble-minded as the forerunner that spawned it. I take issue. Uh, yeah. T- take I, some issue there. I don't agree with any of that, really. <laughs> no. Um, but it was interesting, the the top one. Like th- saying it's passably humorous, I think you're just having a bad day, right? It had a lot of, yeah. This guy's a grinch. He's a grumpity grump. Like, you, that just it just strikes me as just you're in a bad mood. You, you don't just say it's passably humorous when a movie is this delightful like you know intentionally delightful like it's yeah you got to have a bad day if you didn't find this humorous and i agree with peter actually because he 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 did have a lot of praise for it um but it does sound like he wanted a little more on the whole let's say disability with the short-term memory uh, yeah which is why i think they should have maybe focused on that as the main theme well i mean it's it's a quite a serious hook to kind of hang your movie on it feels like that's true they stumbled into this character of dory disney I think it's pretty obvious that they sort of just accidentally... They, no one at Disney would have known that Dory would have been the sort of breakout hit that she was in Finding Nemo. Everybody, even before Finding Dory was announced, Dory was a huge part of Pixar. True sort enough, of, true enough. You know, the, the the mural of Pixar characters. Everyone is obsessed with Dory, and they... The the forgetfulness that they put built into her character in the first movie is, um, it's sort of surface level. It's just it's funny and it's a bit cute and one or two times it gets a bit sad, but it's never played as more of just like just a a, a way to sort of add some flavor and wackiness to the plot. That's true. And then what they did is said, oh man, our audiences love Dory. They love her. They think she's so funny. Ellen DeGeneres is great. It's very funny perfect casting for the role um why don't we just make this about you know disability and short-term memory loss so i think people were expecting the movie to maybe lean into that harder they think oh it's a pixar movie it's just going to be about this whole you know Mm. draw your heart you know heartstrings it's just going to be you think it's less sad than it you you expected it to be Mm, I, i don't know about that it's just not quite as laser focused with that sadness. Yeah, as it is. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually thinking now, um, as we talk about it, that there might be two different movies going on here, which there typically are with these types of family films. Um, That's a great point. What I'm saying with that is one, the whole family dynamic seems to be more aimed at the younger children because they would understand it more, and the whole accepting and thinking outside the box, like someone who might be different, could be aimed at parents really. 
Um, well, that, that that's a carryover from Finding Nemo a little bit, right? Is, you know, letting your kids go and trusting that they're, you know, they can take care of themselves and stuff. Yeah, so it, it seems like there's two messages going to different uh, members of the audience, mm. which... Okay. Is, could is I'm sure is totally intentional. That's that's, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. Okay, so m- my thoughts here. This movie's awesome. I'm in love with it. Ba- <laughs> ba- Baby Dory though is like like her body weight is like 98 percent eyeball. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like like her body weight consists of like mostly just eye and yeah. Disney eye. Like her whole giant eyes. Her whole body is two eyes and there's like a little bit of like some you know eyebrow like some head stuff and then a little tail coming out of the eyeballs it's the most disney-eyed character that they've ever made and she's so goddamn cute it's like but it's like borderline inexcusably cute it's like (laughs) obnoxiously cute like you would you'd be watching sort of you know uh, a little like if you're watching a darker cartoon and they're trying to make a joke about Disney this is what it would this be. is yeah. it's, it's 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 almost like a parody of like what how would you make a, a Disney character look as ridiculous and over cutified as you can this is exactly how, like baby, baby Dory, Dory. <laughs> it it's like I said it's almost obnoxious you, you just want to freak out <laughs> it's cute as hell I know it's and she's just I'm, unbearable. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't remember. And the audience, oh my god! Short, I have short-term memory loss. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, oh it's, god, it's amazing, and it reminds. It's like a little bit of a callback to Nemo saying, "I live in an anemone." Yeah, an anemone. Yeah, it's cute as hell. Um, I will say that the presentation of this movie theatrically was really dark. I mean, maybe that's just 3D movies. I guess it is kind of. But I actually didn't find that. But I didn't watch it in 3D. Oh, you're so lucky. But did you uh, find that it was a, very bright? But a lot of the movie is set in in at night in darkness under, or inside. In like, I just found a, like the movie's a lot darker. Just f- like literally darker, not in terms of plot and yeah compa- tone. If compared directly to the first one, yeah, the, the first one's a much more brightly colored. It all takes place during the day. There's a lot of scenes that it's just at night or they're deep underwater, so it's black. You when, know, when we first see Lost Dory in the kelp, like the dark yeah. kelp. Yeah, the that's very beginning. Very... Yeah, that's that's not at all like what we saw in the first movie. Well, no, and it's I mean it's used pretty effectively to mirror her mental state too. Like... Oh, she's so tiny against this massive you know, sea Darkness. of, of kelp, yeah. I guess, growing on the, the pier, like they're the dock. Yeah. Just, just by the pier for the you marine can see, life. You Institute. can see the big pier. Yeah. Um, actually so, that surprised me a little bit about this film. Cause in Nemo, they went all over the place to get to their location. And here there was only a couple of different locations in the entire film. The marine life was most Institute was most of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but different locations within that. So I, I kind of liked how the trip didn't take long to find no, where they no, were no, going. No, no, it wasn't the case of where you, you had this long journey across. And like, you're telling me they went from the Great Barrier Reef again, like to California, to California. Like, damn. Yeah. That would take a little fish 
That would be a long time, like especially a year. In that, even in that current, that would be a long time. I guess that's the idea. You you, you hang out with Crush, uh, oh, the turtles, and, and you just fly through the the goddamn currents. Uh, Crush, who's clearly a Ninja Turtles reference, yeah, right. Like, yo, dude, I'm a turtle, dude. Um, that's Andrew Stanton actually doing the voice. The, <laughs> really, the director, director? Nice. director of the movie is is Crush, who is quite awesome and i will get to a question at the end of this review that i want to ask and it would surround the third movie which they clearly are going to do actually sorry while we're on that crush thing i found one of the strangest statements in the entire film happened during that sequence where they're riding with the turtles uh when marlin was about to be sick and they called it fish food i know like that's something we call vomit But why would that, why would fish, do they just eat exclusively their vomit anyway? No, I think, I think Marlon has a little quip on that. He says, I just fed us or something like that. Uh, like, like fish food, like he, he does sort of reflect it back. Like there, okay. there is a second, there's a follow up to that punchline. Um, yeah. So... I, I do love the narrative structure of this movie, though. Like, it, it's a little different than Finding Nemo, where it's just, oh, one character, it's like, you know, the five old American tale situation where character, you know, has just been separated from his family. Find character, bring him home. Yeah. Like, this is more um, like it's the reverse. Like, you've been separated and you're trying to get back. You know what I mean? It's like you have, you're, you've been taken away from your house, your, your original home. Um, it's very hero's journey. Yeah, but I just I love the narrative structure of having Dory sort of remember each part of her original journey. Like, and maybe yeah. that's what we were talking about earlier, where her memory loss is frustratingly inconsistent. I mean, maybe that's on purpose because she is rebuilding her memory in a weird way. You know what I mean? She's sort of following. The shells, not to spoil anything, she's, you know, recreating, you know, following the breadcrumb trail back to where she's from to find mm, her yeah. parents. And as, in, in doing so, um, she's running through her memories along with us as the audience. So we get to discover her past. As she does. As she does. And, and all of the, you know, emotional heartbreak that comes with, you know, the tragic separation how it goes we get to discover that along with dory it's a very effective way of it is it really is of generating emotion here which is what pixar does you know like on a assembly line and i guess you could say that those locations being triggers of traumatic events would probably work in a situation like it's great so i can yeah you know you get these little flashbacks to each sort of area you know she's in this weird place where all the crabs are like shut up you know all of the crabs are coming out of their shells telling her to be quiet um that was a really interesting set piece with the sunken tanker yeah or the cargo ship oh i loved it that's sort of reminiscent of the you know submarine thing in the first so i thought that was a great structure to hang the movie on and we get to you know discover her past slowly throughout the movie and and the payoff is absolutely gorgeous when yeah. you know, I mean, when we get to it, but to you know the the consi- inconsistency of her memory. I mean, do you think that that might be explained by 
you know, her memory maybe getting slightly restored as she, you know, she starts to maybe remember things that she would have otherwise forgotten. That's why it's in, it seems inconsistent is because she's actually maybe improving. Is, is that the case? Or I, I think it's really not. Her disability mm. is always there, right? It's not, she yeah, doesn't. I don't know enough about short-term memory loss compared to like mm -hmm. would she not remember these events at the time but her long-term memory will record it anyway so looking back on it she can remember it i don't i don't know i guess um, uh, what i'm asking is does the movie sort of telegraph at all that she is getting is is it showing any improvement with her condition it kind of seems like that it does which is what does it well does her memory loss stem from no she was born with it right yeah so it's not like it's not like a traumatic event of sep being separated from her parents that caused the memory. She didn't bump her head or anything. Well, actually, you know what? They never explain. She just is a tiny dory with memory loss. They never explain how it happened. And there's a couple mm. times which I thought were a little strange in the film where she hits her head on something and then seems to remember. So I'm oh, wondering. She hits her head on the shell. Yeah, at the start she hits her head on the shell, yeah. but then she hits her head on like the pier. All right, we're up. So yeah, like uh, I'm I'm curious if. What's going on there? Because that's obviously intentional. It has to be in, in animated films. Like, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have just done that. Um, is she literally, like, jogging her memory with, with yeah. those shocks? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, is it permanently yeah. improving? Like, I'm not sure. I mean, because she is clearly healing herself emotionally over this. Well, so does that help to restore her memory? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it just seems it seems inconsistent because at the end she is pretty functional, really. Mm -hmm. um, like she remembers all the important things she needs to remember at that point, even though it all happened within the last twenty four hours, sort of thing, right? Yeah, and she like, she is more or less becoming independent. She can maybe take care of herself. Marlon yeah. feels like he doesn't necessarily need. He's still worried because that's just what Marlon does. Mm -hmm. So just what Albert Brooks does best furrows his brow weird brow yeah um i mean he can't resist you know sort of not still keeping an eye on her but i i wonder if that's more about his character and less about you know dory's maybe made some improvement well i guess i think it's more about everyone being accepting about it that's what just, it's more about yeah. right because that's i think the, i don't think like that's not I everyone got. well that's just a better message because there are certain conditions where children you know if you they can't have expect them to get better well they just it's permanent yeah that you're you're disabled for life if you know if the kid has you know quadriplegic it's like am i gonna get better like dory like mm. right you need to make sure the message is clear yeah um the film does get a bit too wacky when we get to the aquarium i found when we're jumping between tanks like with the septopus how, how many tanks do we have to just tumble you know like it's just this screwball comedy stuff i like it and it's fun and slapstick but i mean there's always a little cup of water or a little tank or something there for everyone to fall into and you know what i mean like nobody's i love how that whole sequence of the octopus carrying dory around this marine life center like starts coffee with him drinking yeah. a coffee mug <laughs> Just the the visual of an octopus sitting in a sink drinking out of a coffee pot. Mm -hmm. You get an yeah. you, you get an octo dad kind of uh, vibe <laughs> out of it, don't you? Um, I think you're right on that. Though there there were too many different 
tanks that she visited. It just we get we kept jumping, but it it just gets repetitive. And I think I said that about Finding Nemo. That's kind of what I mean when I say these movies feel a bit repetitive. Like yeah, we keep sort of bouncing between the same little beats over and over. Oh, now we're we flip flopped out of a tube, and now we're floating. Oh, like and the the whole kitty touch pool really only existed for Hank. Is that the octopus's name? Yeah. To realize that Dory was capable, mm-hmm. but that could have been done in a different way altogether. Yeah, it just it just it um, starts to get re- repetitive and, and sort of a little bit of sort of too in your face after a while. Yeah, um, yeah, because all these in- different situations exist really for a single purpose to drive the the plot forward. Yeah, yeah, either to reveal <clears throat> a new piece of information or to show that Dory is capable. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, it's so it's it, not clear. Yeah, um, I have a question. Why, without spoiling too much, because I don't think we need to get into deep spoilers. There really aren't any. Um, why didn't Marlin and Nemo make more of an effort to escape uh, while they were in danger of being loaded onto that truck? I have no the, idea. They're just they're just hanging out in the aquarium with those two. Like, like we know that. So Dory has made it back into the ocean. Right, we and we know that she has found some resolution to her journey. At, by that point, right, we have that yeah. amazing moment with you know her finding the shells, leading back to that original, like you know, this little that uh, that shot of her cresting the hill and seeing all of the shells, amazing. That brought a tear to my eye for Did sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I I felt it when you just get some, you know, the shadows coming through mm-hmm. the the sort of darkness. Because you knew the moment wasn't right when Dory falls into the tank and there's just all these other, uh, you know, tank fish. They just look, how are we going to know? We're not going to, you know, I mean, it, yeah. it just didn't feel right. So then once once she's out, I just don't understand why, like, why do we need to have Dory take care of rescuing them? Like, I don't, we should just now cut to an escape sequence of of Marlin and Nemo saying, we got to get out of here, Nemo. You know, like that's what we should be getting. But I, why is Dory forced? I guess we need that for the plot. She needs to. I suppose, but it would. It would. Uh, I think it is a bit superfluous, or something. They, they, they like, don't even try to escape. They just hang out in the tank and are like, "All right, where are we? We're going to Cleveland." They don't even seem to mind. Well, because they, f- throughout the film, were just like, "Hey, Dory." Get stuff done. Let's start thinking like Dory. Mm-hmm. They didn't even try with that with the truck. Maybe it's because it didn't seem like there was an out, but they didn't like, okay, what would Dory do here? Like they don't even seem concerned that they're trapped in this truck going I to think, Cleveland. Now. I think the film actually would have been better served if they just basically did everything to get out of there that they think Dory would have done. Like maybe they didn't need to do the whole, uh, the first scene where they're trying to get out of that, um, tank using the weird fountains to launch them yeah i I love that they're flip-flopping into each little it was a good little scene yeah but i think maybe that point would have been better if it was near the end after like and they just found dory or whatever Hmm. and they escaped doing what they think dory would do right like that same beat could have been there and be maybe even more effective i thought yeah 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 it, it, it like i said it starts to get really wacky and like we're we're just jumping between well, then you wouldn't get, action scenes. You wouldn't get the whole scene with Hank, the uh, septopus driving a truck. So he <laughs> just goes full octo dad, <laughs> and 
like so it's it, it's absolutely ridiculous it does still seem to work it, it reminds me sort of like in a toy story 2 kind of yeah way like pixar movies end a lot with this sort of nice little symphony of chaos in a chase sequence you know it's so weird that there's um, a chase sequence in finding dory in finding dory <laughs> i love it i love where this movie ends up because it, it feels like such a an evolution from the first movie it feels like a more advanced it, it's a perfect sequel right it it is it, it takes all the characters that you love um develops them in new and interesting ways and, and doesn't really retread doesn't really retread anything actually you know and 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 sort of amplifies and and improves on sort of the action and yeah. fin- the finale is a much more satisfying it's, ending. It, it's right? st- it, it did step everything up, and I, like the critics that didn't like it as much, I don't understand where they're coming from. Do, I mean, this, this is yeah. Do, do you do you do you feel like the movie sort of compromises itself in the message of you know your, your this movie's about these special needs and, you know, being living with people's disabilities and everyone, you know, should be accepted and all this great stuff. And then you cut to an octopus driving a truck. <laughs> uh, it's a little like that little Benny Hill, but it's I mean, good. it's great. I mean, Pixar can do it. They can pull it off, but and this well, is a kid's movie after all. Right. But it so. is also a nice, uh, scene that, demonstrates how Hank has absolute faith in Dory's ability to lead them mm-hmm. because he can't see anything. He's just steering and hitting the gas. Yeah. And it's a great, she's the one in charge. She's in the Nalgene bottle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, that sort of starts to get a bit funny with all the little containers. They keep, you know I mean? They, so many cause the movie, reasons. you forget that they have to be in water. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't think of that and you just figure, why doesn't Dory just sit on the dashboard? But, you know, the, as the, mo- the the makers of the movie have to keep finding ways, creative ways of sticking her in a container of water. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, and they have the one scene where Marlin and Nemo are trying to get across that fountain thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, all of a sudden they can't breathe properly yeah. because they're not in water. You're, oh no, this oh, is right. actually a situation. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the truck, the ending of the truck scene, this truck scene works to me for me, just because of the payoff and how it yeah. ends, right? With just this glorious, you know, musical montage. An uh, explosion of fish. It's just amazing. And, and and you're hoping it goes there because you're thinking about all the other fish in, you know, in this, in, in this truck, all these other aquariums of fish that are just, how are they any different than Marlin and Nemo and Dory? Yeah. Um, but... The weird thing is that a lot of times, like the, these side characters that are not necessary for the plot, they won't talk. So in in a lot of cartoon, you know, in animated films, you'll have some some characters can talk and some can't. And I I want to know if you have any sort of reason behind this. A good example of two characters in Finding Dory who can't talk um, are Becky and Gerald. So Becky is the loon. The, the loony loon the loony loon who seems like actually completely mentally you know compromised like yeah like you know like it's completely that i found a bit strange because if it's about working with disabilities and things like that they just make fun of becky yeah, the whole movie she, it was straight up just making fun like, of it it's look at becky 
she's 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 a dumb idiot look at her face look at how weird and dumb and disabled she looks her neck is all bent and she looks like a fool you're so dumb becky yeah it's it's um, interesting right so we have zero sympathy for their disability we're supposed to not care that these characters are also, and you know, uh, the other sea lion that you're so talking about, Gerald as well. Yeah, he is this strange, unibrow, unibrow, slow, dim-witted sea lion who's, you know, trying to take, uh, I guess, from Rudder and uh, Idris Elba, <laughs> trying to steal their rock, and they're just like off, 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 off. That was a great gag. Very good, right? <laughs> and, and did you did you stay for the post credit scene? Yeah, yeah. So, which I I want to talk about the great ending with the bags. Of, I love it. Um, but yeah, Gerald is the same situation. He's treated. Oh wait, sorry. Post credits. I don't know if I did. We'll talk oh, about it. Okay. We'll talk about it. Yeah. So Gerald is also treated with the same. Yeah. He's an idiot. He, look at how dumb he is. There. We hate him. Get off the rock. But what? This movie's about acceptance. And acceptance. Drinking. Yeah. And and not drawing lines with people's physical or you know mental states and. That's that is very strange because it it also undermines the message. It it kind of does. It's not. It's played there because they're played simply to make you're laughing at these different people, and and they that, can't even talk at all. Like why no. why can't Becky speak? It's a good question. There's because, no because reason. Bir- birds in Finding Nemo could talk. Well, every other animal. Okay, maybe, is that why? Is because she's no? It doesn't matter. We have we have all sorts of yeah. creatures. Uh, although maybe the birds, like the the seagulls, they can't speak. Right? They just go like. Rrr, rrr. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Um, Maybe the fish just can't understand bird language. But, yeah. I just thought that these two characters were interesting to single out when you look at the message of the movie and how every other character can talk except for these two. Yeah. It's, it's just strange where you arbitrarily pick which characters have consciousness or you know sentient vocalization and some don't. Like it's who determines this? It, yeah, oh it's God. really strange, right? Are you well, got like are you especially because there is obviously something wrong, wrong quotation with, with or, be- or different, different uh, with their mental states? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's strange. Are you saying they can't talk because they're not normal? Like what? what yeah, the hell? it sucks. But all in all, these I think are amazing additions to the Nemoverse. Mm-hmm. We can call it. Um, which sea lions were so is, good is exactly what you want out of a sequel, right? You want new characters. Like think about Destiny and Bailey, right? The beluga and the whale shark. The whale shark. They're they're brand new characters for just for Finding Dory, and when they make a third movie, you know they're going to be back. Like the, they have created new characters that are already, you know, endearing and people. You know, there's going to be little fan favorites that come out of. Like, I'm sure Hank will have people really enjoying... There's a decent amount of modern family cast in this. Yeah, right? Ed O'Neill and Ty Burrell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that the, the new additions to the cast are perfect. Um, and that's why I want to ask you who... The, 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 there's a formula set up for these movies a little bit. The third Finding movie, Finding Who is going to start with a shot looking up at the water as it's, you know, trickling the, the ocean surface. And then the camera's going to pan down and we're going to have leaves come into frame and we're looking straight up. 
and then two parents are going to come over top and they're going to start talking to the camera and they're going to start talking to the new protagonist and it's going to be a new character which one is it going to be it's not going to be dory so finding nemo finding dory finding who Maybe just finding home. They'll just talk about the Great Barrier Reef dissolving and they'll need a new place oh, to live. Oh, man. It's like a... An environmental movie. Okay. But, I mean, I guess what I'm asking here is Dory was the standout, you know, character st- stealing the show from the first film. Who stole the show in Finding Nemo and who do you think... Like, I, like Becky. Finding Becky? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if anyone could really... I guess we'll have to see in time, right? Dory emerged as this sort of fan favorite over time, I guess. I suppose you could do more with Hank, but... He's not that... No, uh, I guess he's run his course, really. I, I did love all of the amazing effects of him disappearing and blending into the different... Of, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. So that could be fun if you made an octopus movie, maybe. Um but I don't know. Nothing. There's nothing stands out as well as Dory does. The I third guess. one will focus on that uh, squid. That didn't, ooh, that scary squid. Scary squid. Yeah, it's just misunderstood. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have much other to say other than so. There's a stinger here. There's a post-credit scene at the very, very, very end of this. Movie. Yeah, I didn't see that then. Um, and it's essentially some, maybe some, uh vindication maybe for gerald okay we cut to the rock and we have uh, the two sea lions on it sleeping and gerald puts his you know flipper on it and they go off 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 uh and then i think he he sort of baits them and gets them off the rock and then at the very end sort of pops his head we get the idea that gerald is maybe gonna take over the rock it's kind of funny nice, but then okay. we also get um floating up from the surface seven like plastic bags pop up and it's the original aquarium crew from finding nemo oh if you remember at the very end of finding nemo they're like stuck in these plastic bags and they like roll out of the dentist's office into into the ocean sydney harbor yeah um and then they all splash into the water but they're still stuck in bags and they go now what? <laughs> and then the movie ends. That's how Finding Nemo ends. Beautiful little stinger at the end nice. of Finding Dory where you have these, these, <laughs> these guys and they're still in bags and the bags are all covered in algae on the inside. They've just been floating around the ocean for a year. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, I um, wonder. It might not be online, I guess, just because it's still in theaters, but it's it's awesome it's one of my favorite little sting and why would there be a stinger in finding dory right yeah huh all right yeah really good callback um any other thoughts no i think we've covered like it's pretty good there's right? a lot of great things to say about this movie and uh, we were just nitpicking some of the things mm-hmm. that stood out really none of them ruin anything no no right? it's still a fantastic film experience yeah i'm i'm giving this an eight and a half Ooh. I, like I cannot any of like I said any of the things that we faulted for it are tiny nitpicks. This I think is a stunning achievement. Um, the emotional payoff that we get at the end is really moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got you know as much as the movie dances around its dramatic and serious theme a little bit. I I, I got to give it credit. Like this is. This isn't like Inside Out where you're just saying like, hey, you have emotions and you should, you know, 
accept all of them. Like this is about dis- like people with disabilities. This is kind of a dark subject. This isn't just every. Hey, this is something. Well, I don't all- know about dark, but taboo. Let's uh, say. I mean, it's it's kind of depressing stuff in a way. True enough. Because like, you know, some people have kids with disabilities that are much, much, much more serious than just fucking short-term memory loss. Which, let's be honest, like if. If that's what you've got, that's there's a lot of people who struggle with much worse things. That's true. That was the coolest that. part of Memento. So yeah, exactly. It's a superpower in Memento. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie does everything right. It's one of my favorite Pixar movies. Uh, Andrew Stanton is a genius. He's so good. This guy's un- unbelievable. Um, what do you give this? Uh, I'm going to go with an eight and a half as well. Ooh. I originally came out thinking eight, but the, the discussion about the themes and, you know, I, I thought more about them and why they might be there. That brought me up to an 8.5. Right. Like it, it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Like no. one of the best of the year so far. For sure. Um, well, Zootopia. You have to see Zootopia. You you said it's better than I Finding think, Dory. I, I think it's better than Finding Dory. Interesting. So... It also because it also plays with really um, adult themes. Um, it's like a film noir. Okay, kind of. It's right? kind of got some elements of <laughs> right? that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I have it. I want. I have it from the library. Uh, I really want to see it. I, I probably should watch it immediately. If if you think it's better than Finding Dory, I got to see. I, th- I think it is. I got to see what you're talking about here. You may disagree with me, but but I think <laughs> it is. Um. So that will be the show for this week. Next week. Oh, my good Lord. Independence Day 4. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we're reviewing Independence Day Resurgence, directed by Roland Emmerich. Uh, I'm excited. I cannot cannot wait for this fucking thing. We just, uh, before the show, we watched Red Letter Media's... That's uh, where the Independence Day 4 came from. ...review of Independence Day... Four from nineteen ID four. The original Independence Day film is quite bad, but it holds a place, I think, in people's hearts. Um, Special place. It. I mean, the movie is a complete comic book joke, sci-fi, fun masterpiece mm-hmm. of nonsense. You know, so it's to me, it's. I don't think risky for the next one. If you, as long as you keep the same tone. I think we're probably okay. Well, we were talking about it compared to, say, Jurassic World. And Jurassic World is just a similar sort of movie. Like, it's, it's ridiculous a, sci-fi. A re- reboot quill. Yeah. <laughs> re- is that, are we coining that new term? A re- I think reboot I've, no, I've seen that on the internet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of what we can expect. I think they do want to make a third ID4 movie. So ID3, 4, ID4, 3. Uh, I'd love if they just increase them by a factor of 10. It's getting complicated in here. Yeah. Um, they got to come up with new creative <laughs> names. Red is joining us next week. It's going to be good to have him back. Uh, he's probably the biggest Independence Day fan uh, on well, the, sh- on the show. It'll be good to have his voice then. He's huge on it. Um, I am merely a peripheral fan, although watching it, the original one just takes me right back into the mid '90s, which is like a good feeling. Yeah, I'm a nostalgic fan, so the mid '90s are awesome. They're awesome. Um, but yeah, so next week, really pumped. Look out for that. I cannot wait. Should be up hopefully 
by next Monday. We'll see what happens. Although you were saying that re- reviewers haven't had a chance to, critics haven't had a chance to see this yet. Very scary. So critics, uh, I don't know if this was like at the last minute, but Norm Wilner tweeted that critics are not getting uh, any screenings of Independence Day Resurgence until the day of release at 11 a.m. Well, because, you know, you're confident about your product if you don't let anybody see it until the day it's actually Mm. out. Yeah, see, uh, I remember Mad Max reviews last year came out about a month ahead of time, you know, because they were so confident in the movie, they, they just, they didn't care. This no, is, it's like, this is a fantastic piece of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. It's great. Watch it. So let's hope that's not a bad sign. Um, where can we find you on the internet, Mike? I am on Twitter, at Michael R. Lind right now. Nice. Uh, recent, recently started an art station page, but there's nothing on it yet. Okay. So I'll have more for you next week. On more that on one. that later. Yeah, it's going to be. Are we going to get some sketches and some artwork? Yeah. Nice. There'll be stuff up. Yes. Okay. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Wilson BC. Uh, check out the show on Twitter at Vertical Viewing. Go to verticalviewing.com. If you like what you hear, toss us a couple of bucks. Whatever you can, a couple of cents, a couple of Canadian pesos. Uh, helps us keep the lights on, offset the cost of seeing movies. Yeah. Putting on the show. Uh, you know, racking up those scene points, right? Oh, yep. Um, <laughs> Not nearly so, <laughs> quick enough. No. Uh, so, yes, like I said, verticalviewing.com is our website. Uh, send us your recipes on iTunes. Go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review if you like. I mean, BLT recipes are good. Any recipe you like, just leave us a review and make sure that your detailed instructions on BLT. I mean, grilled cheese is good too. <laughs> Just make me a sandwich on yeah, iTunes. That'd be good. Or, you know, you could, uh, if you want us to test some things for you, send us a screenplay that you've written and we'll read it. <laughs> okay. We'll have a special episode. Oh, I like we'll that read, challenge. We'll read your screenplay. Oh my goodness. Um, we'll act it out. You'll, <laughs> you'll love it. You'll, you'll get to hear it uh, and say, wow, this is great. Or we won't review it. No, no, no. But we'll, we, we'll, we will read it for we, you. Just rip it to shreds. <laughs> um, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just that uh, this was a great movie. Everyone should see Finding Dory. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm excited for Alien Invasions next week. Oh, my God. In the theater. Mm. If, if, if actual Alien Invasions happened, I would be less excited because an invasion usually means bad stuff. You're excited to watch Dubai have sex with London, just sort of That is something I've always wanted. I can check that off of my bucket list when that <laughs> happens. I never figured out how I was going to make it work. See that? It, well, Roland Emmerich will make it happen. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Emmerich. You know that, you know, as we said before, the uh, the most clickbaity trailer in the history of cinema is the first Independence Day with the... The shot of the White House. shot of the White up. House explode. You know Roland Emmerich is just depressed because he... He, he knows he will never top that. <laughs> That's true. He's trying his best. He's just trying whatever. What if I took... It's been 20 years and so, I haven't done anything okay, as yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, so what if I took, the, 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 you know, the, the birds Dubai, the, you know, the Burj Khalifa, Burj Khalifa. and we, we slam it into a Big Ben. How about that? I'm pretty sure there'd be a room full of executives going, yes! And you know what? I am too. No one does this better than him. So, yeah. No one destroys the earth better than Roland Emmerich. 
that's all he does. It's pretty good. Really. 2012 is like the Earth gets shifted into a new planet. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of 2012. <laughs> no. So let's hope we get less of that, more of a Roland Emmerich that we maybe have never got. <laughs> We're not... The bar is not going to be set high here. His his ceiling is low, so... Did you... Actually, I I hope it's good. Did you hear that originally he wanted to do a sequel? Um... Where it's, world, where it's like world peace has been yeah. achieved or something. Yeah, so it's just like, yeah. why are we watching how great the world is now after? Well, he wised, <laughs> he's wised up, so. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. All right. Well, keep it vertical. Whatever that means. Thank you.